The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. Brian D. Estelle. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can pause for these few moments this morning and meditate upon your word. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul that you have set before us. We know, O Lord, that he did not derive his competence in and of himself, but rather his competence came from without, from your own son, Jesus Christ. We pray that he may be glorified this morning, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. So I've chosen for our message this morning, gospel boasting, uh, to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. However, uh, to contextualize this, I'd actually like to back up and read from chapter 11, starting at verse 16, and you remember uh, the context here that the apostle has been forced to uh, boast, so to speak, uh, because of gainsayers and because of the so-called super apostles uh, who are threatening his apostolic uh, ministry. Uh, It's quite a striking list here, and so I couldn't help but think that we ought to read this and uh, Remember what our uh, forefather and the Lord went through uh, for the sake of the spread of the gospel. So let me pick up at verse 16, and then we'll read all the way through 12, uh, verse 10. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then receive me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or pushes himself forward or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. What anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak, and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is to be praised 
forever knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me, but I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. And now the part for our meditation. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who, 14 years ago, was caught up to the third heaven. Where it was, in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. Uh, you'd probably be surprised to learn that Charles Hodge thought every believer should be tattooed. Um, I know this may be a surprise to you. However, he did say, writing in his commentary on 2 Corinthians, these words should be engraven on the palm of every believer's hands. My grace is sufficient for thee. Uh, those of you who know me uh, well... Uh, know that I like the writing of G.K. Chesterton, the one who is so quotable. He said something like this. Uh, Paradox is truth standing on its head in order to attract attention. Now Paul concludes our passage with such a paradox. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that's truth standing on its head in order to attract attention. How can this be true? It sounds so nonsensical. This passage is really quite astounding, and in it we learn not only of the apostles' uh, unique experience and outstanding inner piety, but we also see some more general principles set forth for understanding how God works and in what condition his power is especially manifested in his creatures. Uh, as background for this passage, remember that the apostle has been challenged by the so-called super-apostles. Nevertheless, despite the fact that his CV or resume would outstrip anybody in the crowd, he would not let himself slide into boasting of things in which he was an active agent. Rather, he turns to something in which he is entirely passive in our uh, passage, verses 1 through 6, uh, where we learn of the extraordinary revelation that was given to him. So look at the nature and the place of the revelation. The apostle begins by speaking of himself in the third person as a man in Christ, that is, as one who is in union with Christ, a Christian. This thing happened something like 14 years ago, so it cannot be equated uh, with his Damascus Road conversion experience, which was probably about 20 years before this. So something extraordinary happened these 14 years ago. 
At that time, he was caught up or carried away into the third heaven. So you may ask what that is. Well, the next verse unpacks that. It says, it is paradise. And this is the same word used by Luke when he records that our Lord, uh, what our Lord said to the thief on the cross. I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Furthermore, in Revelation 2.7, the same word is used. Quote, he who has near, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So the first thing we may say about this revelation is that it took place in heaven. And here he heard inexpressible words. That is, words that were not lawful to speak after he heard them. We know that because in the next phrase he unpacks it and explains what he means by inexpressible words. And of these things, however, the apostle refuses to boast. Verse 5 seems to imply that this translation to paradise would be a proper ground for, blessing, uh, for boasting. Why is this? Because it was completely gratuitous. In other words, it was something that was given to him, not something in which he was an active agent. So he could boast of such a one, uh, that is, in his behalf, concerning this one, who is Paul. However, he chooses not to. And why? Because the only things the Apostle Paul will boast of are those things that imply his own weakness. What an amazing statement. He did not arrive, uh, or how did he arrive at such a conviction? It seems so upside down, it seems so inside out compared to the world's values and standards. If anyone could flaunt an impressive CV or resume, it would be him, but he chooses not to. With regard to himself, he will only boast in his infirmities. Verse 6, if you're looking at your Greek Bible, you'll see it begins with the word gar, usually some kind of causal connection. This connection is not immediately apparent with what preceded it in verse 5, however. So why does Paul say that he would not glory or boast in himself? Again, it's not for lack of grounds of boasting. Paul had ample grounds for boasting. He had extraordinary gifts. He had an extremely successful ministry. But he will not dwell on these things. In modern parlance, he didn't want to appear a poser. He didn't want people to judge him based on what he said of himself or his experiences. So what's the nature of the affliction? Not only did Paul not want others to think too highly of him, God even took care of the possibility of his thinking too highly of himself in his own mind. So God gave him a sharpened stake in his side, probably best rendered thorn, further qualified as a messenger from Satan. An important question arises here, is this reference to the flesh, that is, sark, simply body, or is it a figurative reference to his corrupt nature? I think the reference to the flesh here, sarki, would uh, be rendered for the flesh or pertaining to the flesh and should just be understood as something physical, some kind of physical illness or ailment. After all, this makes uh, the most sense of the parallel passage in Galatians 4.14, where the apostle says, quote, Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. In other words, Pace Luther and Calvin and others, they're men of clay feet as well, 
This is some bodily affliction, it would seem uh, to me. Moreover, the use of the perfect tense in what follows would seem to imply that the apostle suffered under this physical infirmity constantly, permanently. In other words, the apostle had learned to have a Job-like patience. This is an expression of the highest form of faith, this continual physical affliction, and yet he counts it joy and glad consecration to still cling to God despite the fact he is sitting on the ash heap. And he asked the Lord to remove it three times. One's mind goes to uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who also three times requested of his heavenly Father in the Garden of Gethsemane that he might remove his afflictions to come. But the nature of the answer to Paul's request is given in what follows. We are told that God responded. And actually, the text uses another perfect in the original Greek, so probably demonstrating the continual consoling power that it had for the apostle. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. That is what Hodge says every believer should have tattooed on his hand. Now, grace may be a metonymy, as is often the case in Scripture for the Holy Spirit, so this might be rendered something like, my Holy Spirit is sufficient for you. Or it might be, my love is enough for you. Isn't that enough for you, my grace, no matter what you go through? These words of the Savior are enough for all who seek relief from pain and suffering. It is enough that I love you, my child, because all other goods are implied in this. Christ's love, grace is sufficient for us to embrace and cling to him in glad consecration, even when we are sitting and suffering on the ash heap. And why is this the case, that this grace is all sufficient? Well, the passage tells us because weakness is especially the condition for the manifestation of God's power. Here is the principle that the apostle had grasped in the midst of his physical infirmity. Weakness is especially important context in which God may make his strength and power manifest. In other words, the apostle had grasped this. My weakness is the occasion for Christ's glory. Therefore, I can glory in my weakness because I want nothing more than that Christ would be glorified. He could rejoice in his sufferings then. Not for their own sake, but he was so sold out for Christ. He was so drawn up in union with Christ that he could say, if this means the manifestation of God's power in my life in the context of my uh, weakness, then come what may, I will rejoice in it. Not rejoice in the sufferings in and of themselves, but rather uh, that they were the opportunity for God to manifest his power in and through him. Of course, it goes without saying that on the subjective side of things, this is when we are most dependent on God and his strength, when we are weakest. This is no syrupy, fanatical feeling the apostle experiences. This is a rational uh, conviction with a principled basis. Most Christians only reach the height of acquiescing, acquiescing under suffering, not the apostle Paul. He ascends to higher heights. Here is the most convincing proof that the apostle was joined to Christ. He rejoiced in his sufferings, especially if it meant that the power of Christ would be made manifest in him. He existentially understood that his physical thorn in the flesh, indeed all his infirmities, according to the last verse, the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, 
the difficulties, the slanders, all these were the opportunity for the manifestation of Christ's power. That same power took 12 men, some of whom I'll remind you were illiterate, and he sent them and others out as missionaries and church planters throughout the world and built a church that eventually extended over the civilized uh, world itself. That power is made manifest in weakness. May God work that in us. Charles Hodge was correct when he said that this section of scripture by Paul uh, contains no self-adulation uh, but a recital of God's goodness. Gospel boasting is categorically different than the boasting we see in the world all around us. May God grant all of us, especially you future would-be ministers, the grace to remember that our physical infirmities, even our sufferings, all these insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties, if suffered for Christ's sake, become the perfect opportunity as weakness for the manifestation of God's glory. Therefore, let us gladly consecrate ourselves and take pleasure in them, not as an end in and of themselves, but so that they may be the very means which our Lord may use for the accomplishment of his purposes, and may he be glorified. And for that reason, his grace is sufficient for you. You're dismissed. Copyright 2015, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.